on this episode of The James Quandall Show. I mean, going back to those original ideas of when you take on the mantle of leadership or you take on the responsibility of being a person who's saying, I will take care of this. You're also taking on that. And that's a duty that we have to uphold. So I'm preaching to myself right now. You're in for a treat with today's episode with my friend Joe. Joe is a SEER specialist in the U.S. Air Force. When a mission doesn't go as planned and military members find themselves in a remote, hostile environment, separated from friendly control, or even hunted by the enemy, they must be prepared to survive, evade, resist, and escape. It's the SEER specialist's mission to do just that, so others may return with honor. Joe and I discussed what you should do when your car runs out of gas at night during a blizzard, how to safely navigate within urban environments, what Joe did when he came upon a serious car accident in a tunnel, and much, much more. After listening to this episode, you'll understand your basic needs, be more prepared to assess your preparedness for everyday situations, and know how to start to build a basic foundation of skills and gear. This episode is for each and every one of you. We all can and must do a better job of being prepared and knowledgeable, and Joe will give you the tools to get started. So I'm, I'm just going to jump back in, and what we were discussing okay. before I hit record, and I made sure we stopped because I felt like it was super interesting and useful to the listener, and the rest of this conversation is going to be completely selfish to me and what I want to learn, And uh, but this is for everybody. I'm just thinking, Emily and I really want to have a little piece of land. We basically want our cake and be able to eat it too. We want some land where we can f- have some garden beds, get a couple chickens, maybe a goat, have some fruit trees, maybe five, 10 acres. But we also still want to be able to go to farmer's markets and museums and the opera and like go into the city and do regular things like shop at Whole Foods. Is that possible to kind of have both and like be, I don't know, is that, can you do it? Well, in my opinion, I think you can, but you're always going to balance that. Like, we, we've had this discussion before where we talked like, okay, as soon as you start pre- the preparing mindset, you can go too far. And that's where you get the people. And I'm not condemning anybody for their point of view, but you know, building a hole in your backyard and everything you need in there. And then you start living in it. It's like, okay, maybe you're going a little too far, but maybe a little bit of that is necessary. And of course, human beings are social creatures. We want to have that ability to connect with people, but depending on your disposition, maybe you don't want too much of it. I think when you are when you have the opportunity to afford something that's perfectly placed, yeah, you can find that perfect mixture, but there isn't like that availability to everybody. Now, like we were talking about, I think the, the argument becomes a, a thorough conversation is where's true safety? Is it in the city with the walls? that are protecting you from the bears and and things that'll tear your heart out and your lungs and steal your children? Or is it in the wilderness where people can't find you and you're at the mercy of the bear, but is, you know, the argument goes back and forth. So you got to find the the balance there. I personally feel like I could live in proximity with bears (laughs) More than some of the people I might run into in the streets of New York or something like that. I, I guess I know what the bear wants and I know what it doesn't want and I can I can live with it. I can prepare for it. I can fortify. I can I can create a lot of boundaries. But in the inner city, that's one of my biggest fears. And one of the things that I want to talk about with you is it's like I like to go into Savannah or Charleston 
and go to a hockey game or a baseball game or a concert yeah. or um, a show. But I want to feel like I can get in and get out safely and get back to home. And when I'm picturing like our dream property, it's it's got to be within an hour of a city like that because I don't want to be in the wilderness to the point where I can't go do those things that I love. Like I'd be giving up a part of me to do that. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think I've been afforded this really cool perspective being in the military because I get to travel and live in different places. Yeah, sure. We can argue like the, the negative side to that of uprooting and moving constantly. But the two times that I've moved, I've got a chance to, well, I've moved three times since I've been in the military and I've got a chance to see that. Well, that's where I want to live. I love this area. Oh man, I was 10 minutes too far. Okay. Next time we'll change it. What I've found like it, the spot I'm at now in Italy is right there. I can get on my bike in two minutes, be at the base of the Dolomites and go trail running or bike riding through the river down and stop and have a, a nice sprit somewhere, um, some gelato. But I'm also 35 minutes from like the biggest store where I'd have to go and buy like electronics or anything. So I found that it's like 30 to 35 minutes is the perfect distance away from big city life that you're still connected enough to maintain social relationships, but also really enjoy the freedom of being out and separated. I can agree with that. That's what I'll put down within a 35 minute radius <laughs> and uh, closer to nature, the better. Yeah but be able to get in my car and get into town for that social aspect. Now, speaking of social aspect, do you feel like you have to be kind of quarantined with no neighbors in this place? Or could you have some other houses nearby, but removed from a big population of people? Yeah. My, I, I, again, I think this conversation will go to like your, your kind of personality. If for me, I really would like to have a neighbor like where we live now, we share a fence and the streets super tiny. <laughs> like in Italy, there's a room for one car to go by. All of these neighbors here are friends of mine. And if I go outside in the morning to get something out of the garage, there's Patti waving. Ciao, buongiorno. And then, then Elle does across the way, trimming her flowers. Like there's not a lot of privacy in that aspect. So I think that would be, you know, some people might not like that. I personally love it. See, that's what gives me the biggest issues in decision making of where to live is I love sitting on my front porch and having spontaneous conversations yeah. with who walks by. Right. Yeah. And I could invite someone up on the porch and talk to them for the rest of the night. And I love that. But I don't want like I live in a neighborhood with 650 homes. That's too many neighbors. I don't have any land. And so I, I feel like like you, like maybe three or four or five people yeah. within proximity of each other would be much more my taste. So this is great. You're really helping me figure out <laughs> what I should be looking for. Yeah. Thanks so much. But what I really <laughs> wanted to talk to you about specifically was how to just prepare yourself for what life can throw at you. And I don't want to talk about any wild situations that just will never happen, but I really want to learn how to the process for identifying what the risks are before you do something so you can be prepared. Because I, I don't yeah. think you can be prepared for anything all the time, but you can surely prepare for what you can at least expect to happen. I, yeah, I think you laid the question out really well. And, and it's, it's a 
question I really like to answer for myself and with other people because I think it relates to so many other aspects of existence. Now, you and I have already gotten on the train of, of fatherhood and, uh, and even, even if you go down the other road of like being a, a mature man or woman and owning your responsibilities, I believe that this question is related to all of that. And it starts with preparation. Yeah. How do you do that? What, what are the things that I need to know to start? We, we talked before we did this pod, the, the first conversation we had, man, it just seems like there's so many options. Where do people start? How do, how do I get started? I know my weaknesses. I could see the things that I don't know. And that's terrifying. I think that's the best foundation. I use this example a lot. Going to an AA meeting, the first thing they have you do is say, hey, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. You can't build off a foundation if you don't know where the ground is. So you have to identify that. And that's kind of terrifying at first. But the awesome thing about it is with a little bit of time and effort, you can build that knowledge. And then it's not unknown anymore. Like you, you venture off into the forest and you shed light on the path. So do you, do you break down preparedness in buckets like that, like city preparedness versus wilderness preparedness because they're completely different. We definitely do. Yeah. And, and I'll talk from a military perspective. You're going to have to rein me in a little bit if I go too far, like, uh, I don't know, in in areas that are like, okay, that doesn't really relate to anything. Because <laughs> I really, yeah, we, we can we can do a master class another time yeah. for for people who are going into combat situations. Sure. Like that, they, they, this is for the regular Joe who wants to be able to go grocery shopping and feel comfortable in their skin, yeah. like they could handle themselves or someone who's driving across Michigan in the winter and gets stuck in a blizzard. And like, how can they, like we, we, we outlined some scenarios. So let's just run through yeah. the ones we outlined. Yeah. But I just feel like there's so many things that we, we put ourselves in and by the grace of God, we don't get hurt. We don't realize how lucky we have been in many situations because we had no plan. We just got in a car and drove and went and did something with no plan, no idea, no supplies, mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Just winging it. Shooting from the hip is another term we say, <laughs> but yeah. like you want to do that as little as possible. I feel yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. And, and again, the, another example I use a lot or, or a metaphor I use is like a jazz player goes to school for years, preparing and learning scales and chord combinations. The whole intent of that is to embody the spirit of jazz, which is improvisation. And you go to school, yeah. you put yourself through all this, well, why here? Why this? Why do I try this knife versus that? Why did I build this fire this way versus this? So that when push comes to shove and you're on stage and somebody goes, you're turned to solo, which could be you crash and your car rolls off the side of the road, improvise. What kind of solo are you going to present? And, and that's really where it comes down to. How well did you practice before you got on stage? I love that. And, I, and it's funny. I have a music interest, too. And I know you have yeah. a, a music background. And it's, it's just so funny to me that to improvise, you actually have to be more prepared and have more skills as a musician than someone who's just reading music off of a, a, a book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've played with people that are unbelievable, very talented musicians. But there's something else that, that you can... I don't know if there's something else that happens when a musician can feel it and, and just has like a repertoire to pull from and they can read the scenario or go in another direction where it's like, well, that's not right. That's not the rule. It shouldn't be that way. It's limiting. It's limiting in that aspect. But 
still maybe that that's going down another road but like i was saying preparation then gives you the power to improvise or choose the right thing to do in talking um like emergency scenarios here uh it gives you the the best power to choose from yeah so i i know that you when we talked last you outlined the five basic needs yeah now are those your self-identified needs or is that sort of what you've been trained yeah it's training in your career okay so Mm -hmm. i I sent you a document and you can post this for your for the listeners to read as well but this is the the air force um 64-4 or 1064-4 is the name of the form (laughs) that's totally unrelated but anyways it's outlines the whole mindset and techniques that you can use to prepare yourself for what would be the worst day of somebody's life as a pilot or as a a person who gets isolated from their unit. So yeah, I I say the five basic needs, but really there's so many more when you're talking military. Um, If you break it down, there's three fundamentals. And, and I'll just kind of work my way through them. And then I think what would be helpful is to walk through a scenario so that people could kind of see how that plays out. But the three fundamentals are maintain life, maintain honor, and then return. So I, I use that for the foundation of the conversation because maintaining life is first, right? You got to, it doesn't matter how well all of these other things are going. If you bleed out and you die, it's like, cool, you were the best radio man, but you're dead. So you have to stay alive. Maintaining honor is how you stay alive. Just because you get out of there alive, if you've burned every bridge to get out of there, that's not really a quality of life that you're going to be proud of living on after. Um, And we use that scenario in terms of captivity for people. Like, I mean, in training, we get pushed to the limit because they're trying to find those points, those breaking points, and then they're going to help us build them stronger. But man, it's kind of a, it, I'm ashamed of some of the stuff that I, that I gave into uh, when I was hungry and maintaining honor is a difficult thing to do. But then also <clears throat> the whole point is to get back, to return. Well, that, that honor versus life pendulum mm. in a way of, is there a point where you know like you get to a point like to survive you have to you have to throw away that second one like you can't have honor anymore yeah okay like is it because i feel like that's possible yeah it is possible but i feel like as a i don't know and i'm going back to my to my military foundation here as a military member you're doing more than just that action you're also representing the whole United States of America. So what you do affects all of us. And I think that's a huge statement because I've chosen to wear these colors and this flag on my shoulder. It's, it's a responsibility that I've been given. And now even, even going down maybe a little, a couple layers below that is, or above that even is as a father, you've taken that responsibility to say, I'm here to, to protect my family. I'm here to be a good citizen and good neighbor what are you doing to do that? Yeah, sure. You you got a nice house. You made it. But what honor have you maintained in making that? So maintaining life and maintaining honor, in my mind, are fundamentally at the same foundational point. 
they they build that maybe it's a triangle i think that's probably a, <laughs> a good example of it because there's three of them yeah so you in my mind you start there maintain life maintain honor and then you use those two things to return in the best case or in the best way possible and and just for for people who aren't in the military return means get home is that what that means yeah what is return, return to friendly control yeah to friendly okay. control like uh return back to your unit, return back to your family. But we could break that down to from a um, just a regular civilian's perspective is is it's getting back to a point of safety. So you mm -hmm. leave the nest, you leave your home, and then it's getting back home. Like, yeah, I got home, but I cut off four people on the way, I ran over an old lady's dog. It's like, all right, not really honorable. <laughs> and yeah, you, you maintain the life. You return the return. You got you're okay on yeah. return, but you missed the honorable way of doing yeah. it. So it's almost like a professional who planned well can do it in a way that is honorable because they were prepared and they had the experience and the skills necessary. To where if you were just thrown in there without the preparation, you may be able to get home safely, but you may have to break some personal values and morals and 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 do things you're not proud of to do it. Yeah, and. And you're right. You, we can go down that road depending on the scenario. Um, and maybe that's like a, a deep dive in a section that we can go into later. But um, foundationally, those are, the, those are the ones we build off. Okay. After you go up a layer. So we understand that part of it. After we go up a, a layer, what I always tell people is the basic needs is what I would teach my wife if she had 10 minutes with me. And she was going to be put in some situation where she was going to have to fend for herself. So I'd say, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Do I teach her how to make a fire? Do I teach her how to use a radio? The best thing you could do to, for somebody is teach them the fundamentals and how to think for themselves. You know, you, you, what is it? Teach a man to fish. You feed him for life. You give him a fish. You feed him for a day. That's the kind of mentality that I, I take towards preparing somebody. And these lessons are what I do with my new recruits or the people that I'm training in this, uh, this program. Um, so maintain life, maintain honor, return. Then after that, you have to look at yourself. So personal protection is the first one. And within personal protection, you have, what is protecting my fragile body? <laughs> first, it's my clothing. And then after that, it's my equipment. So you got to think like, Oh, do what kind of gear did I bring with me? What kind of rain jacket have I, uh, been in have i invested in um shelter what kind of place am i going to get under and store my gear to keep me safe and then fire is that necessary do i need fire or can i go without it that's a kind of a conversation you get into when you're talking arctic survival so that's one aspect personal protection then there's sustenance food and water okay i think everybody probably knows water is more important than food but for how long? What is the limitation? What kind of food do I eat if I don't have water, but I do have food? After that, there's health, physical and psychological. What I notice a lot in the military, and maybe you'll notice this as well in different, different um, groups of people, is that talking about the psychological aspect of humanity seems vulnerable or weak, and people are thrown off. I don't need that part of the conversation, but it truly is. Um, what did, uh, Nietzsche said, 
if you have a why, you can find almost any how. And so you identify that why by first figuring out where your weaknesses are psychologically and you build upon that. And being in a, a situation where you're your life is on the line is pretty terrifying. So you have to know that that's going to be challenging. And then the health aspect physically is, am I bleeding? What things are broken? Um, so then after oh, that, got it. it's travel. How do I travel? Which way do I go? <laughs> so that's a whole other lesson. Compass use, map, map work, GPS availability. What if there's an EMP? Oh, goodness. Now we're really getting into it. <laughs> And then uh, communication. What what ways do I have to communicate with the people that could be coming to save me? The last three are kind of uh, related to the military in particular, but recovery. So what kind of recovery asset could come get me? Is it a vehicle that is a helicopter? Is it a fixed wing? Is it on the, you know, is it gonna drive an ATV up to get me? And then evasion, am I running from the enemy? resistance have i been captured by the enemy and then escape is the last one how am i going to get out of this situation if no one's going to get me so you can kind of see from the baseline maintain life maintain honor and return you build up this really huge tower that's all just theory and so this is like that you're learning the mixolydian scale right now <laughs> um, but then from that point you go out and test it so when you when you come up to Italy, you said to 23, you're coming up, we can just go out, we'll go for a trail run, and then I'll stop you randomly and we'll say, we're not going home tonight, we're staying right here, we'll practice those parts, we'll improvise. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. I wish we could do it sooner. And so is that the natural flow? So you understand that, let's just call it the triangle of life, honor, and return as being your goals, I guess, your mission goals. And then you have these criteria that are of importance to be successful. You have to have all these other things. So before we went on that trail run, if we were being diligent, safe survivalists, would we walk through all of this before we went and said, hey, let's gameplay some scenarios. Let's gameplay what can happen. What do we need to bring to cover all these different buckets? Like, How do you actually make it a real world uh, idea versus theory? And maybe we walk through one of our scenarios and actually just do it. Yeah, I, no, I think that's a good point to to bring up because, yeah, yeah the the theoretical aspect of it always sounds great. It's like, well, doesn't seem like there'll be any problems. We're good now, but that's never the case because life it happens. You know, it's ugh, I'm, kids are screaming. My my wife's like, look, you got thirty minutes, and then we're cooking dinner. If you want to run, you better go now. <sighs> All right, I guess I'll leave that. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to leave my phone. I'll just go around by myself. You know, you make those decisions, maybe knowingly that it's the wrong one, but we do it anyway. And I'm going to probably do it tomorrow. <laughs> I'll make the wrong decision. But I think where I build my confidence on how I can kind of uh, skirt the line of, okay, I know what the right thing theoretical answer is here, preparation thing to do is building your skills. So today, my son and I, he's three, we went on a bike ride and then hiked up into the mountains and came down. I only had my phone on me. And I was thinking about this conversation while I was up there and my phone on me, AirPods, uh, my wallet, 
and a couple euro, like 20 euro. Obviously he was wearing a jacket and I had my shoes and I was thinking, man, if I got hurt right now and we couldn't get out of here, what would I do? How would I do this? So I'd have to make a fire because it's raining right now. And I was like, well, I got shoelaces. I know how to do a bow and drill. It's going to be a lot of work. Am I willing to do that? Sure. I could do that. And so I kind of accepted this. This is not the right answer, but I think I could accept it because I built up my skills to be able to handle that. Now that's kind of a confident statement and I'd hate to challenge myself in it, but that's really what the thought process that I went down. But if you're going through that thought process, you're already lost in a way based on how you outlined it because you put yourself in a situation that wasn't ideal and you, you weren't accounting for what could go wrong basically because what can go wrong is way worse than we can imagine, I think, a lot of times. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And so if you're already starting out not in a great scenario, when the real world hits, you're going to be maybe even worse water than before, than you thought you could be. Yeah, and I think it's a healthy exercise to kind of walk through that because it's a good reminder. Uh, familiarity breeds complacency. And as you start to become more familiar, it's like, well, I don't need to do that. I did it all the time as... I worked with my dad as an arborist in San Jose, California forever before they joined the military. And the chainsaw is one you get really familiar with. Well, I probably don't need to put my chaps on now. I've used this thing every day. I never cut myself. That one time that I was in the tree, branch off to the left, use my left hand for the chainsaw. Branch cut way quicker than I thought. And I sliced straight through my boot. Lucky, Luckily, I had a steel toe cut all the leather off, but that was it. It was another a humbling reminder of probably a bad idea. So today, yeah, going on a run or going on a bike ride with my three-year-old, man, I think I'm a little far out right now. It's a good reminder that, all right, man, you better rein it back in before you can't and something bad goes wrong. But I think- I have a, a scenario. This, this is something I'm, as you know, I'm in pilot training right now. And while we're up yeah. there, my instructor will constantly say, hey, if the engine quits right now, where are you going? Because if I'm at 1,800 1, feet, I have four minutes of glide before I'm going to be on the ground. And so I have to pick a spot basically that I can see, first of all, and I have to be looking for it before I need it. Because if we lose engine power and I'm freaked out now, I'm tight, I'm trying to get the engine back and I don't have a place identified, I might have already blown one or two of those four minutes and I'm already halfway down to the ground. So, and the way he drills that into my mind is occasionally while we're near the airport, the he'll just cut the power. Thinking I'm doing a, a rectangular course, I'm in a safe spot, and but it's like real world practice. Um, and then it, it, it makes you realize you really need to be prepared for what can go wrong before it goes wrong. Yeah, really, that's great. And that kind of goes back to that foundational understanding. So I've been doing this for a long time and I, I've built up a lot of confidence because I've tested myself in those abilities, but that doesn't ever mean that I shouldn't still do it. So I appreciate the exercise of us doing this because it's helpful for me as well. But yeah, so, so we know the theory now. We know health, personal protection, sustenance, travel, communications, uh, and then recovery, getting out of there. So what does that really look like? How do you do it? I think, I, I don't know, do you want to walk through one of the scenarios we thought of? And Yeah, so I think that this is a, a realistic one, and I've been in this scenario 
where I was driving from St. Joe, Michigan to Detroit, Michigan, and I needed to get there. I'd worked all day, and I needed to get there for a family party that night, and a blizzard comes through. And I'm just driving down. Man, I haven't lived in Michigan in a while. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember the road. I-94, and I can't even see the car in front of me anymore. So, like, this has happened to me. But basically, our scenario that we outlined was, I'll just read it. Yeah. You're a single mother or father driving to visit relatives way out in an unpopulated area at night. It's wintertime. You have no cell service, and you run out of gas. It starts to snow. What do you do? And I think that that could happen to anyone right now, and it has happened to me. I think it'd be helpful if you're listening to this to kind of explore your answer, because I'm sure there are people out there who have done quite a bit of survival training or maybe even their own YouTube. Like YouTube's a great resource who could probably answer this pretty well. And actually, I'd like to see if people wouldn't mind posting like what they would have done. That would be kind of cool to see. Well, you could ask me. I have not put very much thought into any of these scenarios since you sent them to me. Okay. And you could get a real, you could ask me what I would do. Like maybe, maybe that's a way to Let's do it. Well, so what do you think, what, what would be the right uh, response? Well, f- first I think I'd have to know where I am. Depending on where I am, it would, it would, it would tell me what I need to do. If I ran out of gas and I didn't have a cell phone, are there people driving past me I could flag down who maybe their cell phones worked or maybe they could take me into town or something. That would be kind of my first line of thought. Absolutely. I think, I think this is kind of like a choose your own adventure book because yeah, is it, do you flag down the truck or do you wait for the next one? Because the truck's kind of scary and it's like, no, I'll wait for the next one. It's like, well, turn to page seven. You died. <laughs> the other guy, I uh, was going to give you a million dollars and a lift to town. Yeah. The other guy killed you. <laughs> yeah. Or that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you, you deal with that social aspect again. It's like, oh man, am I going to, get me and my kids in this car with this person I don't know. And maybe at this point you've pulled over, the car's still warm, you know, even though it's out of gas. Everybody's in the car. Maybe there's some leftover McDonald's or something. So you're not too worried. So yeah, no, we're not going to ask these cars for help. Or maybe there aren't any cars. Maybe you do have those same things, but you're truly alone. And there's, there's no, there's no one out there. Beautiful stars above you but completely isolated. So at that point, your phone's dead or, or you have no cell service is the way it reads. <laughs> your survivability is one, hoping that somebody comes and gets you so we can write that one off because you can't just hope on that. If they do, great, we're ready. We'll get in and we'll leave. But let's say that you have to stay there all night and the two kids are finish the McDonald's or whatever Apple or that was left in the car. Well, sorry to interrupt, but is that, do you, how do you know if you should stay there all night and wait till it's bright or just start walking down the road to the nearest town? How do you take that evaluation? Yeah, that, that is part of the evaluation. So what I always consider first, and I'll just kind of work through my thought process um, is I don't ever want to leave a point of, of known, um, like a a point of structure, unless I have a good reason to travel. So what are the reasons to travel? Because resources are thin in the area. I don't have enough to sustain life or it's dangerous for what we tell uh, military members is enemies in the area. So you, you have to leave. Or the other option is recovery tells you to leave. So, Hey, we can't get you up there. 
you're too high. You need to come down or we need you to move to an area we can land the helicopter. So those are the reasons you would travel. So I would start working through the process of, I don't want to move unless I have to. Okay. So you're in the car. All right. Can't really call anybody. Kids are in there. Do I have any blankets? So now the conversation turns to what did I do before I got in the car? What have I done before going on this journey? Like you were talking about at that point of realization and you haven't prepared, it's probably already a disadvantage. I don't want to say too late, but you're already at a serious disadvantage. So this is where I would talk. What, what are good ways to build like a car kit? essentially. I mean, you and I have talked about this already, like having basic stuff to light a fire, basic food equipment, maybe a battery charger and things like that. So if that scenario ever does happen, it's not the end of the world. It's like, okay, cool. I got to tap into my emergency kit, but I'm ready for that. Now, if there isn't any of that stuff, okay, you just have the jackets you're wearing. There's no extra blanket. Um, you took your phone charger out and into the room, the bedroom yesterday, so you don't have it in the car. And uh, you realized you left your backpack by the front door or something, which had your med kit in it and your battery pack or, or whatever. And so you have just what's on your body. The two kids are with you. And I like adding the kids into that scenario because they can handle so much less than you can. And that changes everything as far as what I would do. As soon as you mentioned kids, it changed the element completely for sure. Yeah. Cause you could probably walk by yourself 10 miles freezing cold. Yeah. It's going to be a lot different when they're saying, man, dad, my hands are cold. And then you start thinking, oh, he's frostbite. He's going to lose his fingers. And, and you start getting worried and freaked out. And then you start screaming and then your heart rate raises, it, you know, it, it could go a million different directions really quickly. The way I could solve the problem is having done the diligence beforehand and preparing. So putting something in your car, that is exactly for that scenario. Hey, sweetie, before we leave, just in case we run out of gas on the trip to this, our, our relatives, let's put um, a, like a down jackets for everybody in this bag, maybe a couple um, freeze-dried meals, uh, a stove, like what do they call it? A little jet boil or something with some fuel, um, an extra battery pack for our cell phone, some people even go as far as putting like a burner cell phone in there. One of those like old mm. flip phones. They just pay for 60, I don't know, maybe 600 minutes or something. And as long as they don't use it, it stays good. Um, and then some kind of like signaling device, like a laser pointer or a flashlight. Laser pointers are really great signaling devices because they go super high up and you can you can like spin them around and they become bigger than just a, a single line of light. Who would you who would you signal with a laser pointer in this scenario? Would you like a, a, a plane that's flying over or, or what? Yeah, uh, that would probably be the first point is to look for just kind of where's the air traffic coming from? I mean, you're not out there long enough for people to have to search for you because at that point, then they would employ aircraft to look for you. But it could be used to just go straight uh, line of sight, just down towards something, pointing at a window, if you could see a window, or down into the city. Um, but I, yeah, laser pointers are great uh, signaling devices for other aspects. So yeah, the, the, the biggest, the quickest solution is pre preparation beforehand. What gear do I have with me to 
keep everyone warm enough to stay alive. Maybe we don't get any sleep, but sleeping bags are rated to that. You know, you look at a 10 degree sleeping bag, that's survivability, not comfort. <laughs> so let's just go through the the five basic needs list real quick. Because yeah. we talked about clothing with the down jackets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about equipment by having battery backup. Um, we, we didn't talk about fire or shelter because the car is your fire and shelter and you have blankets for warmth, right? Yeah. There's one thing I like to add with vehicles though. If you are in a vehicle and you, you turn it on to stay warm, you got the heater on and it's downpouring snow. There's been, um, I don't, I can't cite the exact stories right now, but where the snow is built up around the exhaust pipe and then the exhaust stops coming out and everybody in the vehicle dies because it starts going into the vehicle and you won't even know it while you're asleep. So what we, we tell people in those extreme environments is the car is really like the last point that you want to stay in for long-term survival. Got it. I, you know, tell me if this is crazy, but I've heard having some small, small beeswax tea lights can give off a lot of warmth in a vehicle that's closed and they don't off gas a whole lot of, of stuff like, like a propane heat source or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Candles actually do a lot. And, And there's going back to that psychological aspect. There is something reassuring about seeing that light that, that kind of you internally warm yourself. And so when our kit, we talked about the food with having some, some, some freeze dried food, we didn't mention water. So in this scenario, leaving to go on this long trip, what would you would you just put a couple five gallon jugs of water in the car? What would you do for that? So I I don't really travel with water myself. Kind of result to doing is if it's snowing or or if there's like an abundance of stuff to turn into water around. Like I don't know if it's raining even. I'll just bring some kind of cup that I can cook the water in to clean it. So like a titanium mm. cup is like always part of my s- kit, so my survival kit, so to speak. And what do you mean cook? Like I what like what is does it have some type of heating element in it that boils it no, or what? So so with that cup, you can make a fire and then put snow inside of it and then cook the snow down so that it turns into water. And if it's unpurified water that you're worried about, like giardia or other issues, um, protozoa in there then it's just a purifying mechanism. And now uh, add on to that, you can have like an external heat source, like a, a little stove that can also use, but I don't, I don't bring an insulated cup because those insulated cups are really nice to hold. But as soon as you put them over some kind of heat source, they, yeah. So I, I try to bring something to, to harvest the water and then purify it. I don't really travel versus bringing a bunch of jugs of water with you that yeah. you, you got to basically put them, hug, lug them in there. You don't want to leave them in the car all the time. And it, it's, it's not scalable either. Yeah. And, and that's a really good point to bring up because you can prepare for all these worst case scenarios by bringing around <laughs> a whole caravan of everything, just traveling everywhere I go, I bring my RV with me but that's not realistic. And as things start to get more of a burden, you stop bringing them. So I always like maintain my survival kit as small as possible. And that's where we get into like multi-use items. Okay. This is a cup, but it's also the whole survival kit. Everything goes into the cup. So when I need to use it, I just dump everything out and put it in a 
a bag that's in there. So you could put your matches in there if you needed, you know, you could put some, um, some tablets for purifying water inside the cup. You could put some Medicaid, like what you can put a whole bunch of stuff in there. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to think, okay, what is the point of this thing beyond it just being a cup? So a space blanket, one of those like mylar blankets are, is another really good multi-use tool because it can be used as a blanket, first of all, but it can also be used as a way to reflect heat. If you have some kind of heat source and you put it behind you, it'll take all that heat and direct it right back at whatever's in front of it. And that's that foil side of that, like the shiny side. Okay. And it can also be used as some kind of device to signal an aircraft because it's super shiny and it's flickers a lot. So you've got three things in one. So in this scenario, what's your recovery? Like if you don't have a phone, you didn't communicate people where you're going. Like what is your recovery plan here? Like you're hanging out in the car as long as you can. Like how do you, how do you get, how do you get home? There's, I think there's quite a few scenarios we can solve it with. So maybe you told them, Hey, we're coming tomorrow. So then they're like, man, where are they called? Yeah, I didn't see them. So then they go back, start searching. Maybe they find you that way. Maybe you were surprising them and they don't know you're coming. (laughs) And so what you have to do at this point is determine whether you're going to start to build up some kind of structure. So shelter that you guys are going to all get in and stay warm in. And then you're going to have to say, Hey, look, I'm going to go find wood to make a fire. You got to, you guys got to stay, or we're going to go together and do this. So you have to kind of determine which, which way you're going to go, or we're going to bundle up and we're going to start walking down this road until we hit something. There's quite a few ways to solve the problem. The best thing is preparation beforehand. So even as like a a runner, I'm sure you're aware of this. Whenever you're going to go somewhere, you tell somebody, Hey, I'm going to go for a run. And they know you can avoid that long-term survival scenario where you have to build a snow cave by just saying that and then saying, Hey, if I don't show up, come looking for me. But I, I, I hate to leave it open-ended, but there's no real way to solve it because there's so many ways to solve it. And in most of America, and you, you're going to have someone come along the road before long, but you can't, that can't be your plan, right? Like, cause that's not guaranteed. Yeah. So that can't be like, the way I'm going to be recovered is I'm going to hope someone eventually will drive down the road and see me. That's not a plan, is it? It, it is, I guess, technically a plan, but I, I wouldn't think it's one that you would want to really lean on because you would want to avoid that when at all costs. Yeah, depending on where you are, you might be able to just, I'd say, I think the best case scenario is, hey, do we have what we need to sustain our, to, to maintain life? And can mm-hmm. we do this? together are, are we strong enough what if what if i was in an accident and dad is hurt and it's only the kids and mom then what <laughs> you know who's that you know you 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 go down this road i am curious at what point you abandon the vehicle as your shelter in this scenario and build a shelter and like what point how do, like what point is the vehicle not that great of a shelter anymore yeah, once there's no heat source in it, 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 unless you're on some kind of insulating property, like one of the one of the big, I'll use the aircraft as a, an example here. They're just big hollow shells, so people in, in in Arctic survival situations might think staying in this aircraft is probably the best thing we could do. But that thing turns into an ice box, 
and it's actually colder inside there than it is outside. To solve the warmth issue, because that's what it's going to come down to with the vehicle, is you want to create dead airspace. So this is what I always teach people. Uh, I experienced this firsthand sleeping out in the wilderness uh, during training where we weren't, they took away our mat to sleep on and we had to figure out some way to stay warm. So if you have nothing under you to create loft, to catch dead airspace, you're going to, it's freezing. It's unbearable. Um, so what we did is we went around and we cut branches, branches that were kind of thicker or even dead leaves and just piled them up and made like a makeshift mattress and then laid on top of that. And our body heat radiated down through the leaves and that created a warm enough platform for us to stay warm on. And you could do the same thing around you by adding in the Arctic scenario, by adding snow and these are, these are whole classes that we teach. I taught this one for the Boy Scouts as well, where we just went out with our shovels and made a huge pile of snow and you wait 10 minutes and it, and it kind of denses up. It, waiting overnight's way better, but you can just wait about 10 minutes and depending on how the quality of the snow. And then you carve into it and then it's a cave. And then you use your backpack to plug the hole and that will heat up to 32 degrees. And you might think well, I loved crazy. doing that as a kid. At the at the end of the driveway, you whenever you shovel your driveway, you throw all the snow into the corners of the driveway, yeah. and you make this gigantic pile by the end of the snow season. And I would always carve a hole in it and just go lay in it, and it was quiet and it was comfortable and it was warm. And I would do the same thing, making little igloos with those little like plastic buckets. You could like make a brick and then keep stacking yeah. them up and then enclose it. And it really is warm it's surprisingly so a car wouldn't do the you the car wouldn't do the same thing once that once the battery was dead or you couldn't heat the car anymore it's gonna be basically like an ice box just like the plane depending on how much insulation is in there so if you've got like uh, good cushion seats that's essentially creating that loft and then the benefit to the car is it's enclosed so you're going to trap your own body heat a little better. So depending on what kind of car you have, like if it's an old truck that's all metal, maybe not the best scenario. But if it's a newer newer model vehicle, it's like really nice lofted seats that you could sit on and you have enough people in there, it'll probably get pretty warm. But yeah, yeah, interesting. It's interesting to walk through these scenarios because you you want we we want to know what the answer is, but there really isn't an answer. It's just Hey, here's what could be an answer. And you're going to have to make your own decision when you're in there. Hopefully you know how to improvise well at that point. <laughs> and that's why it's good to listen to conversations like the ones we're having. So your, your what if scenario planning improves. Oh, yeah. And so you have some knowledge and skills and better preparation in your gear to approach these ideas. So like if, if you're just a, a regular civilian where do you read about real life scenarios like this with different outcomes like how people ended up surviving so you can really kind of educate yourself on it besides just listening to us talk yeah that, no that's a good point i i have i personally have a huge file of them and it's just what's your file it's just like a story and then what they did yeah it's it's who who it was uh what year because this was part of our training as well like you had to have supporting evidence for every every time you told a, a motivational story so i built up a huge repertoire of them but i can send that to you if you want it's a pretty big file so i might have to 
on like a USB drive or something. But other than that, a lot of the times I would just search recent events that are happening. Like this, the last one I saw was this lady in Hawaii that got lost and uh, she was on this spiritual journey. It's kind of a funny story, but she made it out alive and she was gone for days. It was like, I, I want to say it was like over a week by herself and found like fruit on the ground and had to fight off animals, like pigs chasing her and stuff. And she was just some uh, a pretty average woman who was walking. She wasn't running or anything, but just going for a walk. Wanting to be someone who's more prepared and knowledgeable and skilled, reading more scenarios, as many as you can, otherwise you won't know what could happen to you. And if you don't know what could happen, you don't really know how to prepare. Yeah. And we're going to go through two or three scenarios, but there's thousands of variations, as we've already discovered, yeah. based on just the car you're driving and how far you are from town and how cold it is, who's in the vehicle. Like, You can't, there's, it, it's, it's basically, it's personalized, it's custom, and it's different every single time. Every time, yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about a summertime, that same scenario, it's summertime. Now it's like, oh, cool, we get to sleep with dad out on this grass. And then you wake up in the morning and you walk back down the road. It's, the, the th- yeah, flat- that's a memory you just, you're fondly re- remember, that time you went camping with dad unplanned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 there's so much of it. Mother Nature is just, she's always trying to get you. But in the same way, it's, it's, it makes things so beautiful and perfect. But yeah, so we're talking worst case scenario. How, how can this really uh, be an issue? That's where, in my mind, preparation comes in beforehand. So learning about that gear. You, you probably see all these marketing uh, commercials aimed to get you to spend your money. On, well, buy this survival kit. Buy this jacket. How do you know? You can do, you can do research on like best case scenario for this stuff for what i always look for is how small does it get what did the what have used it in extreme environments say because there's things that look nice but also don't work very well it it sounds to me and correct me if i'm wrong but your idea is basically have an let's just call it an arsenal of gear that you can then put in the smallest package possible based on what you think might be able to happen to you on the trip adventure whatever you're going out to doing is that right versus like hey here's the ready-made kit that works for everything that's impossible yeah it's not yeah it doesn't work like a tuck let's do if we went down like a boating scenario you know whatever that might be or a skiing scenario or if we went down like a um you, you, the one you were and I were talking about before this was, uh, you go to this big city for a baseball game, you know? Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about that because this is something I do all the time. I was in Charleston three days ago, and we went to dinner at night. Went to a hotel we'd never been to, and then we were walking around the town the next day, going to a few different museums. The only tool I had with me was my cell phone. That's it. That's the only and my and my whatever was the clothes I was wearing, right? That's it. That's all I had. Yeah, it, that's pretty common. <laughs> yeah, I'm going and going to this place that I haven't been to. Um, I'm assuming people are friendly, which for the most part you can assume correctly because most of the time things don't happen. But I think it's a it's a worthy exercise to go down the road of what if. And again, like we said in the beginning, you can take that too far and never go out ever again and build a hole in the backyard. 
Or be the person that's walking around the streets of Charleston with this gigantic backpack full of supplies and now no one even wants to talk to you, you know? <laughs> like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> you know? I, but I, here's, here's the thing, Joe, is I was thinking, because we've been talking, when I was walking around Charleston, I was going, I'm not prepared if something happened right now. And I know that I'm not prepared. And that's almost more intimidating than just being ignorant and walking around and not even knowing that something can happen. Yeah, that, that is. And I think a great, uh, another example that kind of people experience that same epiphany in is, is for um, self-defense. You, you look at somebody and you're like, I would not be able to beat that guy. <laughs> I, I, that happened <laughs> I, that was that was on this trip self-defense was really what i was thinking of mostly like is that person safe should we walk near that person mm-hmm. should emily be on this side of me while we're crossing the street here because there's traffic there like is that car gonna come like that was the kind of stuff that was running through my mind it was more self-defense stuff yeah and it's it's a uh it's an extreme end of the spectrum that highlights that point well but it, it truly is something that people feel a lot. Um, so what do people do to solve that problem? Oh, well, they go to jujitsu. They, they get into a boxing class or something and they build up that confidence by building those skills. Like I, like we said the same thing in terms of personal recovery or survival aspects, you, you build those skills by building the confidence or you build the confidence by building those skills. But there is like a lot of knowledge-based stuff that you can do. Um, so we do that as well in our training, um, like, uh, apprehension, avoidance, uh, um, learning how to maneuver your weapon. If you go into an area where somebody grabs a hold of it, that's a really fun course that we get to do, but all of that builds your confidence on knowing, okay, if this happens, I'll know what to do here. And then the social aspect of it, you know, when you're, when you're walking around and you're conveying to the public, like I'm nervous and scared and your eyes are wide, there's people react differently. I'm sure you've noticed that yourself, but when somebody looks calm and like, they know what they're doing, I walk down this dark alley all the time. Sometimes people are less. That's how I, that's how I felt (laughs) the first time that I was around you and I didn't actually really know your background and skills and experience. And I felt a promote, like some type of instinctual knowledge (laughs) that I was safe, you know? And when I was walking around Charleston, I was not trying to be like big ego, but like be not on my phone, Mm -hmm. looking around, making eye contact, like not just like just being aware of my surroundings and being obviously aware of my surroundings and having my hands free instead of having them tucked in my pocket. I was trying to do what I would think would make sense, but I was just making guesses. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I think you, you've highlighted, the, again, those foundational ideas is paying attention is the biggest one there. Situational awareness is what we say. And even, even smaller than that, we just say essay. Maintain your essay, your situational awareness. Yeah, there's, there's habits that you can build. That even though you don't think something's going wrong, no, 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 this is a habit. While we're walking, I don't have my phone out. You're navigating us. I'm the one who's kind of surveying the area. Maybe every time I come to a corner, I stop. And as we're waiting, I do one look around to see if there's anything weird or different that I noticed. 
Um, do we know where we're going before we start to walk or are we just walking? Sometimes that's kind of fun too. Hey, let's just go explore. That's great. But there are kind of positions or turning points where you get to, we're talking urban now, uh, where, man, I don't know if that is worth the squeeze right there. The risk down that alley might be not worth it. And I've put myself- And that actually happened. I went into this building, talked to a security guy, and he said, oh, the place I was looking for moved. I said, oh, how far did it move? He's like, oh, a couple miles down the road. I'm like, "Like, is that walkable? And he's like- well, yeah, it's it's walkable. He's like, but there's some areas over there I probably wouldn't walk through if I were you. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you kind of read those environments and, and that's where that situational awareness comes into play. But okay, what kind of things do you have on your person that could, I mean, <clears throat> I hate to, I hate to go to the point where it's maybe I do have to defend me or my family. Uh, a lot of people in Washington conceal carry. So they carry a gun on them. I know I carried a Glock 19. Most of the time I was out, if not that, then I just carried a, a, a knife, a pocket knife that was with me. Um, and then beyond that is knowing how to use your tools that you have with you. Obviously the goal is to never use them, you know, but Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willink had this podcast and they were talking about have a big stick like be, be the guy with the big stick, but that doesn't mean you have to use it all the time. <laughs> I think that might be a Teddy Roosevelt quote, actually. I'm not sure, but it would make it would make sense. And, you know, I also heard another quote that's interesting. The best way to get cut by a knife is to pull out your knife, right? Like if you have to use it, then that your odd. Is it true? Like if you have to use your knife or gun, like you're of having something happen to you from a knife or gun is going up a lot. So like don't use it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. I, that's actually something I heard when I was in high school, there was this old, uh, my Spanish teacher was in, can't remember what war he was in, but he was a like a combat knife fighter. And at lunchtime, sometimes he would show me these moves and I tell him, okay, well, what if somebody does this? He goes, I'm, I already know I'm going to get cut. That's part of it. I'm going to sacrifice this part of my arm to get cut so that I can gain the advantage here. It's almost like chess playing with your body. <laughs> yeah. And don't get in a knife fight unless you're willing to get cut, I guess, is yeah, what that means yeah. is you're going to get cut. That's scary. I don't even want to carry a knife because I don't, you know what I mean? Like that's what goes through my mind is like, oh geez, how do you, but that, that comes back to what you said. It's not carrying a knife or, or bringing a, a Glock 19 with you, knowing how to use them yeah, and safely use them and, and drilling, like practicing, drilling mm -hmm. and uh, pulling them out and using them. And, and like, is that part of the, the process? Yeah. And, and I think especially coming from California, that's definitely frowned upon. Like you look at gun control and, and all the negative things that have, that happened with it. Sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's right. There's benefits to knowing how to use these tools that have advanced our society and that can be really useful and that can protect you. Like, yeah, I don't have to use my gun, but I've got to know how to use it. And so that might mean going to the range and shooting with it uh, once a month or something. And then even beyond that is what I did with our kids in Italy, we don't have, we didn't get a chance to bring our weapons with us, but I always talk to my, my daughter about it. Look, Lord, Willow, this is a, this is a gun. This is very dangerous and you're not supposed to play with it. This is a tool that's meant to be used. So she understood what it was and what it was capable of. And I wasn't afraid of showing her that I wasn't giving her the knowledge um, and then I practice good habits to demonstrate what those look like with it. But 
yeah, we could go down that road and I'm sure people will get mad about talking about using guns and whatnot, but it's a reality that is a method of protection. And if you don't have it and someone else does, you're going to wish you did. And isn't that the whole point there? It's yeah. it's to protect you against the unknown. It's not so you can just be pulling out and and having a gun just for fun. It's for to save your life. Like going back to the life on the triangle. Yeah. It's just to save your life. That's the only reason. If you can have honor in return without it, then you don't need to use it. Yeah. So the city environment, there's other things you could do to prepare. So yeah, what am I carrying on my person? I got into the habit couple years ago to just always bring my backpack with me because there's so many things that would happen. And I would just always feel unprepared. Like, oh man, I don't have my passport with me, especially now being able to travel so much. Like I always have my passport in my backpack. Now I always have an adapter for my iPad or my iPhone um, and a charging brick. So those are like top pouch side pouches. I always have a, a thing of gum. I've got uh I always have some co- some coins, some cash, and then a couple extra pens and a notebook, and then my little survival kit. So wherever I go, I always have a backpack. And it's light. It's not, I mean, it's a nice looking backpack too. So it meets all those areas where I wouldn't say like, oh, not today. So you bring that everywhere. So if, like if you, in this Charleston scenario, you'd just be walking around Charleston with your backpack at that point. Yeah. And it's really thin or low profile. The other thing it fits well in is as a dad, you know, I've got all the kids snacks in there. I've got Laura decided her really big jacket that she looked so pretty in is too warm now. So now I'm carrying the jacket. So (laughs) it comes into hand. It comes in handy a lot. Got it. So that's why you're willing to bring it with you too, is because you have multiple uses for it beyond just, worst case scenario because if it's just in case of emergency it's not practical you're gonna leave it the time you needed it you're gonna have left it at home yeah and then and then the smaller like the the bug out kit from there is a fanny pack so the other thing i got used to carrying around is a fanny pack and if that's like okay backpacks in the car usually i'll just throw leave it in the car if i know we're just gonna go like play at the park or something i'll have my fanny pack on me and i've got cash in my fanny pack now it's a mask for the COVID mask. Uh, some uh, my AirPods are usually in there, <clears throat> and then uh, maybe like uh, my IDs that I use for getting onto the military base in case there's like an emergency and they need me to go back. Like you, you like render it down to smaller and smaller, like worst case scenario. And then the last one is like obviously I got a jacket on and shoes or whatever. <laughs> and your fanny pack, do you like? Do you need to bring your? your charging block in that if you're only going to be inside for a couple hours having dinner at a restaurant? No, I, I usually just leave that in the car. Yeah, so yeah. the whole backpack just stays in the car. But that's kind of like, that's what I've done recently to, I'd say, yeah, in the last couple of years to kind of satisfy all that. And again, a lot of it has come from just dad life and taking care of things or spontaneous things happening where I maybe miss an opportunity because I didn't have something to do it. Like, Oh, I can't, my phone's dying. Well, don't worry. I got a charger. There's so many reasons for this backpack and, and fanny pack. Also just if someone's a diabetic, they can put their, their testing supplies in there, their, their insulin, their glucose tablets. And yeah, band, like you depending on who you are, is just the things you need to just live. And some things you need 
in case you were put in a situation that wasn't perfect. Yeah. And balanced it too. Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's balanced because it's useful in other aspects other than an emergency, but I've, I've been in these situations The The one scenario that I wanted to get to related to that backpack and that med kit is you're driving home. Yeah. Let's do let This is, this one's awesome because it wasn't just about you in this scenario. It's about helping others. Yeah. So it was really late at night. We were, uh, we were in Slovenia. Um, it was me and three of my friends. We were on this wilderness medical course, which was very convenient. Um, and it was a good friend of ours, this old uh, Slovenian military member we met up with to have dinner with him. And he was showing us around the town. It's two in the morning now. And uh, I'm the designated driver. So they're all having a good time. They're haggling me. <sighs> you drive too slow, Joe. Everybody's yelling at me. I'm just getting super annoyed. I miss my turn. Now they're haggling me some more. Come back around. And now we're in this tunnel. And uh, I see this huge plume of smoke and this really loud bang. And then as the smoke kind of fades, I see this car is just steaming. And and two cars collided really, really fast. There's two young guys driving the car that came in and smashed into a mid- middle-aged couple driving a Mercedes. Both cars are black, so you kind of couldn't really see much other than like lights shining in all directions and steam. So we park and I look back and I tell the guys, hey, we've got to get in there. We've got to do something. And they all immediately sobered up, just like I'd expect my teammates to do. And we ran in there. But before we went, I grabbed that backpack because I knew I had a medical kit in it. And I ran down there and pulled out everything that I could get out that could stop bleeding and gave it to them and said, look, you guys got hit. There was one guy laying down in the back seat, another guy totally smashed in up against the steering wheel. And then the, uh, the couple that got ran into were, uh, unconscious, if not just coming into consciousness that looked like maybe it's, there was a neck injury. So I gave them everything they needed and said, look, now I'm going to go run to the edge of the tunnel because there's another car coming and maybe I can get more supplies. Do you need anything from me? One guy took control. They used the supplies and I gathered more uh, things that I could find and then asked somebody who was local to call the uh, police. So I I luckily had other people there with me and uh, we all kind of collectively solved that problem. We saved three people's lives, but one of them didn't make it. They, the other aspect of that was we could have all lost our life. The battery caught on fire and was <laughs> there was gas all over the floor. I didn't even realize it. I was standing in this gas. Heart was racing. I was looking around for other ways to move the equipment out so we can get it better access to this guy. And one of my teammates said, Hey, we've got to put this fire out. And he rips out the cord and puts it out, sliced his hand open really bad. And that's when I realized I'm standing in a pool of gas that could have, that could have been the end for everybody. So you, you kind of, you, you run into these scenarios and you hope, man, I hope I have something that's prepared me to do something positive here. And if I didn't have that, medical kit, the most that I could have done is call for help, which is still a lot, but there's so much more that you can do with the right equipment. So not very big. I mean, describing it to the listeners, 
that medical kit I carry is maybe eight inches long, four inches, five inches tall by three inches thick. It's like the size of an iPad. Yeah. But it has a lot of really important stuff in like you were saying, maybe even allergy equipment, uh, medication and whatnot. But yeah, so you so you you come into that scenario if you if you put yourself there, what would you do? Okay, you stop the car, obviously, because I'm probably not going to keep going towards this steaming ball of steel. But now what? Do I run towards that thing, uh, or do I maybe go back out of the tunnel because I have no cell phone service in the tunnel? And then call for help and almost like drive away. You know, the answer isn't as clear as we'd hope it to be. And I, I went through not this scenario and, and I have to commend you and your, your buddies on being willing to get in there because the paramedics might not get there for 15, 20, 30 minutes. It might be too late and it's no one's, it's not your fault. It's, it's not the paramedics fault. It's no one's fault. But we're not looking for blame here. You're looking to try to save people. And you had the knowledge and you had the some of the instruments you needed and you had the willingness. And it took all of that. Like you had to also be willing. You could have had the gear and you could have had the knowledge and you could have said, hey, we, it's not worth it. Or we don't know what else might happen in there. Let's just keep on driving. And so it took all three in that scenario. And... Cause like I have a, I have a kit in my car, a med kit, but do I know how to use any of it? Like I had this scenario happen where I was up in my apartment and my apartment was at the base of a bridge and it was in the middle of the night. Emily was out of town. I had the windows open. I'm sitting on my computer. It's like midnight. And I heard this just wretched noise and it will be in my memory forever of a car that was going too fast hit some water, hydroplaned, and then hit the edge of the bridge and flipped. And I got on my phone, called 911, and ran down the stairs in my apartment building, four floors, got there. I was the first person there, and I said, well, I don't know what else to do. That's all I knew how to do at that point was just call and go down there. And that was it. I couldn't do anything else. I wanted to do more, but I didn't want to do more harm than good. And... uh that's not a great feeling to want yeah. to help and not know what to do. Yeah, nice. I, I really like that you rendered it down to that because that's the point of understanding. That's that person in the AA meeting who's sitting there and says, I know what I don't have. And at least I know what I how to get there. The first step. And so, like I was saying, you can build that knowledge with taking courses. Uh, for for example, people that want to be able to defend themselves, they go to jujitsu or taekwondo or maybe even just self-defense classes but yeah the course that we were in was uh wilderness first responder and so they taught us basically to run through that scenario which is first it's uh, uh, number one i am number one so you look around is there a tree that's going to fall on me because it's all wilderness based and so we is there that. gas inside this vehicle <laughs> that I might be get covering myself with? Yep. Oh man. And so you practice, we did this theor- theoretical walkthrough every single day for two weeks. And I think we are probably maybe a week and a half in number one. I am number one. Number two, is there uh, is there <laughs> any germs on you? So you put your gloves on three. Is there, 
what was that? I can't remember what three was before. Is there any more? Are there any other people around? And so I walked through that in my mind, totally missed the gas on the ground, but I knew, okay, I see this guy, his, he looks like he's unconscious. We need to maintain C-spine. So I grabbed, put my hands around his ears. I knew exactly what to do. My buddy came in, he gave him CPR. I, we found a way into the car, determined which people were the most unstable and then triaged from there and worked our way down. But it was that knowledge that we had built that gave us the confidence to act because you're right. You can get to the point. I've got the desire. I really want to help, but I don't know. And you can get that within two weeks of a medical course that, I mean, depending on what your financial status is, could be pretty expensive, but there's other options as well. I did go through a basic course for free, the Community Emergency Response Team put on by Homeland Security and FEMA, and it's all over the country. And they gave a basic, basic understanding of a lot of this type of stuff, triage, how to stop bleeding, how to do a tourniquet, what to bring with you, what to have in your car. My issue with it was that was like five years ago, and I haven't practiced or thought about it, or and I never used it, ever. So it's like it was my brain says, oh, that's not that useful if you're never going to use it. Yeah. And it doesn't remember. Any fair point. Yeah, that's fair point. <clears throat> I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. He's about to leave Italy. And I asked him, I said, hey, Dylan, what are the things you're going to take with you when you go back? This is my teammate. I mean, I work together here at the 31st OSS in Italy. And he said, man, I really want to continue the language. And one of the ideas we both kind of came up with was, Maybe you can do like uh, every night or certain days of the week from seven to eight, you only speak in Italian. So if you guys are, whatever you're doing, it's only Italian from then on. And I thought about that as well, because you're right. If you have this old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. So how do we do that in our life? Maybe it's once a month, we get together with the family and we sit down and we play a board game, but it's. Uh, a scenario. Maybe we do a scenario like, hey, what if dad um, uh, is outside and he gets hit by something is unconscious? What do you do? And then maybe Willow, she's six years old. She'd say, well, I could do this. And then we walk through the scenario with her. It takes 15 minutes, but it could be a healthy exercise to just keep that preparedness mindset front and center. I absolutely love that idea. And it makes me think of my friend uh, John Deloney created these conversation starter cards for friends, families, and coworkers. And they're three different card decks. And they just have conversations. You pull a card out and it says, like, what's your fondest memory of going over to your grandmother's house growing up? And then you get into a conversation about it. Like, I could imagine making with some four by six index cards a few different scenarios that Emily and I at dinner once in a while will pull out and be like, what do we do here? And then talk about it and maybe role play some of it. Not like open up all the, the kits, the med kits, but like, where is our med kit? What's in it? Do we know how to use it? Why is it in there? When you and I first talked, as soon as we were done talking, I went and got my backpack out of the car, dumped it on the floor. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a wrench in here. I wish I knew that. I needed a wrench a couple of weeks ago and I didn't have one in, near me. And like, I didn't even know it was in my bag because I hadn't role played. I hadn't 
talked about it, hadn't done any scenarios with yeah, it. Yeah, and that's kind of my uh, like my existence in the military is like so as a SEER specialist, my mission is is if you break down the acronym is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So my job is when a mission doesn't go as planned and you find yourself in the most remote, maybe hostile environment, that's where we come in. We are there to prepare people to be able to perform to the best of their ability in those scenarios and then get them out. We work with pararescuemen, combat rescue officers, and we do that here in Italy. That's like our whole mission. So I'm always doing that. And even with these F-16 pilots that we train, these guys are masters at their craft, flying this aircraft through the air. And, you know, if, if they didn't have me constantly tell them, hey, sir, which is, where is this item in here? Well, I don't know. And it's not their fault. They've got so many other things to do. So just like you're doing in your life, you, you've got you businesses that you're running, you have a relationship that you're maintaining, other things that are pertinent, that are front and center, that are demanding your attention. It takes extra effort to really dig deep and pull that stuff that is, how do I keep this in case something goes wrong? And that's just where like that, I mean, going back to those original ideas of when you take on the mantle of leadership or you take on the responsibility of, of, of being a person who's saying, I will take care of this. You're also taking on that. And that's a duty that we have to uphold. So I'm preaching to myself right now because... <laughs> No, you're preaching to me because I have the willingness to be that person that can protect my family, myself, and the people that are around me, my friends and people that are I'm out to dinner with or people that are over at my house. Like I want to be the person who can keep them safe. I want them to be comfortable around me. I want to have a plan and be able to enact that plan as necessary and be prepared and be able to analyze what we're doing in advance and be able to make a plan based on that. And it takes a lot of deliberation to do it. I wasn't in the Boy Scouts. Yeah. I didn't learn any of this stuff as a kid. So I'm starting raw. I'm starting from nothing. But I think we need many, many, many more people than just me doing this so we can all help each other. And the more knowledge we have as a community, the better off we'll all be and safer we all will be. Yeah. And you brought up a really good point <clears throat> when we were coming up with this idea when COVID kind of first struck, there was like this real big wave of panic that came over people feeling, Oh my, like, I don't know what to do. Am I going to have enough? And people, people didn't, they didn't, they weren't themselves. It was terrifying in some cases where how people were acting because they were like a dog pushed into a corner. And I'll tell you from my experience, like that scenario where we came up on that car accident, there is this really amazing feeling, horribly dark situation you're in that you can uh, uh, lean on when you're confident and you know what you're doing. As I was running towards that, that car and I could see my teammates with me, there was no doubt in my mind that we were going to do something better and that I wasn't, although I was putting myself in danger, it was it was a risk that I was willing to do because I felt like I could handle what could happen. And so by building your knowledge, by understanding, Hey, what are the issues that could come from this? You're going to build that confidence thing, which will then make you maybe 
able to deal with stressful situations like them shutting down the store, taking away all the toilet paper in a better way than freaking out. And for people that are listening to this, if this is resonating with you and you're nodding and you're going, man, I'm underprepared. I want more knowledge. If this is intriguing to you, we can continue these conversations and continue to publish these conversations and get you in touch with resources to get more prepared. Just reach out to us and and let us know what you're thinking, what you need. Um, you know, someone did ask before this episode about the mental preparation of how to actually keep a calm and clear head during something. And that, that, that Sullivanian uh, example you gave, I think, is a perfect example. Mm. How do you train to keep yourself calm? And then how do you actually pull that out in an intense scenario to actually stay calm? Yeah. I <clears throat> I think if you talk to a lot of special operators, people that are kind of operating at the tip of the spear to defend our country, you'll notice that within all of them, and I've seen this myself, there is this sense of uh, peace that they carry with them. They, the term I hear a lot is a quiet professional, but they build that by practicing that sense of stillness. Like Ryan Holiday talks about that a lot. Stillness is the key in his book of finding that time to, to, to challenge those inner demons that are in you. And that comes with doing the hard work beforehand. You can't, you can't come to that car accident scenario and decide, all right, we're going to deal with these demons. Now you've got to have done that already so that there isn't junk in the way. So you can operate it calmly and and more specifically ways you can do that is like uh I'm, we our friend ben greenfield talks about like breath work and cold thermogenesis and uh, subjecting yourself to those extremes that are manageable so that you can train yourself to manage your heart rate um exposing yourself to physical exercise also does that. So when you start to feel that, oh man, I'm sweating, my heart's racing. Oh, I'm used to that. I do that often. Now I can do what I'm trying to do and those things aren't in the way of doing it. So I would say the way you can prepare your mind is exposing it. And your mind is exposed when your body is pushed to a limit in some aspect. And so find those points, whether that's trail running, whether that's turning on the shower to full cold without looking. <laughs> Can you do that? Do you do that? I do it. I do it every morning. Yeah. It's like you just go full cold. Yeah. So my like you get into it when it's cold or it gets on hot and then you switch no, to cold. I get into the shower and I do this. Okay, come on, you freaking loser. And I put the soap in my hands and I turn it full cold and I wash it all the soap out. So I put the soap on me so that I can't turn it off until the soap's gone. <laughs> you are Wow, that's I, I learned something that else. from Ben. Ben's the one who taught me that. We went and hung out with him. And then do you turn it to warm after that as a reward? Or do you have to like stay on cold? I actually kind of got used to it just being cold. Now at the end of the day, I'll take a warm shower just to like stay clean. But the uh <laughs> the cold showers to like spark my to turn on my uh, my my nervous system. Uh, so we're we we're talking about Ben. And a couple days at Ben's house last summer, I was exposed to more cold. And in 24 hours with Ben, then like the 10 years before that, like he's jumping into cold pools, jumping into Morosco Mar Forges. I'm taking cold showers. We're going in the sauna. Like, 
all day. It's like hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And I felt like a million bucks. I felt so good. I felt sharp. I didn't get cold. I didn't get warm the rest of the day. I just felt good. And so I didn't maintain it when I got home. I think the water here is too warm, (laughs) truthfully. Like, yeah, I've just noticed. I would need to like get some ice. Like, I'm in the South. It's warm water. It's not like up in Washington. Uh, it doesn't even get below 55 degrees out of the tap. And I know for the real benefits, you got to be under 55, but maybe that's an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. No, but you're, you're right. So yeah. How do you prepare your mind for these scenarios? Well, it starts before you get there. It, it's the preparation beforehand. It's uh, dealing with the, your, your or, or learning to understand what your tendencies are. And, and this goes into emotional intelligence, you know, as a, as a military member, you kind of are forced to learn that, but as a leader, as a dad, as a husband, I'm learning those aspects currently as a husband, because I've learned to manage them with military other people, but my wife is not that at all. So now I'm learning a whole new avenue. It's like, okay. That- Wait, what? You can't you can't treat your kids and wife the same way you can uh, fighter pilots? I don't understand why. Yeah, they just don't get it, I guess. Doesn't work. I mean, that sounds like a that sounds like a them problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. And if you can't tell, my my last five episodes were about love and marriage and relationships. I'm obviously being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, but it's a great question because that's that's the point of 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 origin. Okay, what my hands do or what my mind have decided I can do, what my heart has driven me to go and do. And so you got to control the house. You've got to maintain the structure and build it up strong enough to, going back to the jazz example, improvise. That's great. And that's a great place, I think, to wrap our conversation up because we can't give you everything in one 90-minute conversation. All my my only goal through this conversation, well, one was just to be more prepared myself, but two was just to open up the door to how much you can learn and how many scenarios you could put yourself into. And that you're not always gonna have someone else there to save you. Like it's gonna have to be you that's prepared sometimes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so the onus is on you. And then beyond that, like there's a real big there's a huge feeling of confidence that comes with knowing you're ready for something. And, and I've felt that tangibly in your presence without knowing what it was. It's, it's, it's something strangers can pick up (laughs) on you. Cool. And, and my thought is if, if strangers can pick that up, they're going to be more calm around you. If you do get in a, in a stressful situation, let's say self-defense, it's you're less likely to get into that scenario because people are calmer around you and they know they can tell you can handle yourself. And so they're, they're going to pick on someone else. They're going to pick on an easier target. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if um, <clears throat> I, I hope this conversation is valuable to people. I, I, I enjoy talking about it because it's for one, a good exercise for myself to remind me of the things to, to stay up on. But I like the, the real, how it relates to so many other aspects of existence and, and how we've already talked about and all the things we do. Can we talk about your book? Can we talk about your book for a second that you're working on? And and kind of wrap up on that? Because here's (laughs) the thing about this. This is all great to survive in urban and the wilderness, 
But it also, these same principles work in leadership of a family unit or a business or a community. And I know that you're working on a pretty neat book. And I'm just curious if what you just kind of give us a, a quick rundown of that and then um, how maybe people can get in touch with you yeah. if they want and uh, kind of wrap us up. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I'm really passionate about the book because I don't think I am at all qualified to write a book, but I, I'm doing it anyway because of, I, because of what I believe in. So it's called Developing Leaders, A Letter to My Replacement. And that's where it started. I never intended for it to be a book. It was literally going to be a PDF that I printed out and left on my desk for the guy that was going to take my seat. And as I started writing it, I started cleaning it up and refining it and practicing it. So it's it's meant to be like a uh, almost like a, a devotional that you could use as like a men's group. That's kind of the structure of it. Is, hey, the topic is teamship. Here's some prompting questions after you read the stories from my experience. Sit down with your group and read them and then talk about how you guys could prevent that issue that Joe did in your experience, or man, I see that in myself. I maybe should pay attention to that. So that's what it was meant to be. And as I started working on it, it started growing and growing. Started out as like 10 page. Now it's at, um, I think it's 200 pages when you put it into like the book format (laughs) and I'm trying to get it smaller. I was like, my goal was 150 pages. That's it. (laughs) Because some of the people that I've worked with would never pick up a 200 page book. But it's, it's really broken into four sections, and it's all based around how you can be a better teammate and prepare somebody to take your place. So developing leaders, and how do we do that? By first developing ourselves. And most of the book is spent there, and it's using my failures as examples all throughout. That's so cool that you were humble enough to put that out. And as far as your, your, your authority or privilege to write a book and thinking you you shouldn't be one writing it. If I will grant you the authority and the permission and encourage you because you'll have at least one reader who believes in it and that's me right and and you have all the authority of anyone in the world to do it. And so I encourage you to to keep on working and get that done and pick a date. Like maybe like pick a date it's done okay. and then make it happen, right? Yeah. And I know you live in a in a world that's not always predictable, but you can always change the date, but you can't set one and if you never did yeah and so i appreciate that get it done the world needs it we need leaders right now in our world more than ever and so we people need to learn how to be a leader because it's it it's not it's not something you're born with it's something you get by going through things in life in real experiences well thea thanks for bringing it up it's something i'm i i've stopped talking so much about because i think i'm annoying the crap out of people around me Well, you're only annoying because you haven't finished it. And, you know, nothing's worse than an author that, and I'm speaking to myself. I've, I told people a year and a half ago I was going to have a book by, oh, no problem, April of 2021. We're almost at April of 2022, and I'm no closer than I was then. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, you're ta- you're going to get a book done? Okay, when? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You're right. I appreciate so. the encouragement. And you're right. It's just got, it's got to get to that point. You know, you work on something so much, you're always like, oh, yeah, I think it could be a little better. You start going back. And that's where, that's where edition two comes out or the updated version or the second book. You know, I mean, you've got more than one book in you. 
And most of the people you know and you read that you love, you know they have more than one book. And most of them aren't that proud of their first book anymore. And so just know, get it out into the world, learn from it, and then start working on your second one. And I think it could be a whole collection of survival stories with kind of like walking it through because I would buy that in a second too. I would love that book. Well, thanks for the encouragement. I really appreciate that. That was really, really awesome. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for coming on the show. And I can't wait to talk to you soon. And uh, I just really appreciate you. Yeah. And thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate talking to you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the review and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show. See you next time. Yeah.